some people turn out a certain way because of their father, and other people turn out a certain way in spite of their father. And I think in your situation, you've turned out the way you have in spite of your biological father. You are listening to episode four of Complicated Fatherhood, an eight-episode podcast docuseries exploring how my own journey through fatherhood has been affected by the father that I never knew. I'm your host, Ryan Grecker, and if this is your first time listening to this podcast, well, thank you, but I need you to stop and go back and start with episode one. I don't want you to miss a thing. And at the end of the episode, if you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. These ratings help others find this podcast, which for an independent podcaster like myself is pretty beneficial. Regardless, I am honored that you stopped by, so thank you. Now, let's get into it. In President Obama's 1995 book, Dreams for My Father, he writes, When I was 10, My father came back from Africa to visit us for Christmas. After a week of my father in the flesh, I decided that I preferred his more distant image, an image I could alter on a whim or ignore when convenient. If my father hadn't exactly disappointed me, he remained something unknown, something volatile and vaguely threatening. President Obama has always resonated with me. For starters, we're both biracial, half black, half white, We were raised by white single mothers and grew incredibly close to our maternal grandparents, even living with them for a time in our lives. We both struggled with our own blackness in a white world, and we both had charismatic black fathers who left when we were two. I was an early supporter of then-Senator Barack Obama's campaign for president. In November of 2006, I did a presentation in my speech class on why Barack Obama should be our next president. At the time, next to no one in my class knew who he was. (laughs) And while all my reasons pointed back to policy, all I really wanted to say was, I think Barack Obama should be the next president of the United States because he's black, just like me. While the differences between our colleges and places of employment are vast, we do have one more similarity between us. We're both raising two beautiful daughters while our own fatherhood continues to be shaped by our father's absence. There is no greater joy than being in your children's lives. I couldn't agree more, Mr. President. So what would reconnecting look like? As Obama explained in his book, he had this image of who his father would be and then realized the advertisement may have been better than the product. I mean, we've all been there, getting hyped up over the trailer, planning your future after taking a look at the job description, planning the wedding after a few looks at the photos on their profile. The reality may or may not be as great as we imagine, which is why I always wondered what my first meeting with my father would look like. I never had any doubt that we'd meet someday, but I was also fine never knowing him. I envisioned him contacting me eventually, likely when I was an adult, but what I didn't know was how would I respond? 
Would I go the revenge route and try to inflict as much pain on him as he did to me and my mom? Would I crave that connection with my biological father and try to start a fresh new relationship? My father was this mythical being, this cool musician who could sing and played in bands. On the surface, he seemed like a man that I'd get along with, with this tiny exception as to maybe why I wouldn't. There were so many reasons why I didn't want to meet him, but I certainly had a few reasons as to why I did. I guess I ultimately wanted to know if I'd prefer him in the flesh, or if I'd prefer his more distant image. Let's set the scene. Uh, it's yeah. late 2005. Um, you know, where where were you working at that time? Uh, if I, yes, yep. It's kind of weird because I, I actually I put a post on on Facebook. Uh, think last week or the week before, and I got about 71 responses about where was I when we hung out mm, okay and a lot of a lot of people responded so that's kind of how I'm trying to put this all together in my head okay in 2005 I think uh, how old was I, how old was I in 2005 so I was like 40 47 Does okay sound right yeah sounds right okay so I was doing the club stuff at that time. Mm -hmm. I think we had moved, me, me and, um, we, we'd gotten married. Mm -hmm. You and, and Anne. Yeah. And I was doing club promoting stuff. Okay. I, you know, I started like a little website called JP Nights and I'd written a couple of articles in, um, local newspaper mm -hmm. about the night scene in Jamaica Plain and the place where I used to hang out the, the bar the Midway Cafe I was still hanging out there okay. and I was I was just doing stuff and word got around that I was doing stuff and I I got a call from this other bar up on up on the main drag uh, in Jamaica Plain called Costello and he wanted me to do some stuff there so I installed the light you know a, a grid and lights and all of that stuff and mm -hmm. I started having oh no I was still in the Jones Brothers at that time so we had the, the band ran a jam session there and I started just like I started a jazz night on Sunday night jam session and uh, ended up having to go to court. We got deposed by by ASCAP. Okay. Because because they had picked like twenty bars in the country to go after for not paying royalties for playing songs that were ASCAP songs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Which was really kind of weird because I'd been playing in bands for all my life. But mm -hmm. this was about live music and not about jukeboxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I know they, 
I don't know if it's ASCAP, but I know some people still do it today. I know there was a local coffee shop that I think I hit with that a couple months ago. And it's like, dude, it's, it's a local coffee shop. Like I, I get it, but yeah, I guess they still go around yeah. doing that. Right. Yeah. ASCAP is probably who it was because BMI is more for, um, television and movie music, mm, that, okay. you know, but, um, so yeah, that's what was going on. I was doing my, my videos, my, the world of Moz videos. Mm-hmm. We were living in Roslindale. I was doing landscaping. Uh, I was working with kids like, mm-hmm. uh, summer programs with my friend Mary Ellen and my other friend Abigail. She ran a community center and I'd known her from back in the days when I was doing video mm-hmm. in Somerville. And now she was also living in JP. It's weird because there was a lot of people that I'd met in different places, like in the Fenway mm-hmm. and in Somerville that all ended up moving to Jamaica Plain. It became okay. sort of like the spot so i i probably had six or seven friends that i knew from other areas that around the same time that i moved to jamaica plain they Mm -hmm. did and i moved to jamaica plain because i got a job there like running that house with the boys that's how i ended up on robeson street okay but um 2005 i was working at uh doing nights at costello's uh, I think I, I, I was working with youth opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I was doing landscaping. Then I was working at the Milky way. Okay. What's that? Bar, it was a bar and a bowling alley and a restaurant. Was okay. Ella Luna was the restaurant upstairs and the Milky way was the bowling alley. And, uh, bar downstairs so i started i was like sort of like the production manager there when when new bands came in i would um you know make sure they got all the shit they needed and Mm -hmm. got paid at the end of the night and all of that stuff Mm -hmm. and i I stood at the door and blah 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 so and then one day i was just online because I was spending a lot of time doing that World of Mars thing. Mm-hmm. And I just typed in Ryan Rucker. Then a, a couple of them came up. Then I think something about Fitzy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. What was that? So, you know, at, at the time, so 2005, I was 19. And, you know, around right. the same time, you know, I was hoping to pursue a music career myself. So, you know, and, you know, I had aspirations of kind of creating my own entertainment label and uh, Fitzy Entertainment was the, uh, uh, I guess was the name of what I wanted to, to call it, which sounds oh, so cool. Yeah. And now, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's, that was Fitzy. That was, that was me. That's how, that's how I, I think I knew it was you, like you, because there was a couple of Ryan Ruckers. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like, wow, Fitzy, all right, so that's his middle name. Right, right, that's cool. That must be my Ryan. And then I went and I I listened to a couple of your songs, Mm -hmm. and I thought they were poppy and cool, and, you know, 
I, you know, it wasn't anything outstanding, but it was, it was cool and funky and, you know, some of your songs were, what do I, I remember this one song, um, a woman's name, a Spanish woman's name. Oh, <laughs> Miss Marquez. What? Yeah, it was Miss Marquez. It was, um, right, right. Yeah. Oh man, this is so wild. Um, yeah, the, at the time there was a there's a woman named Vanessa Marquez who was signed to Star Trek, which was Pharrell Williams' label, and she like she had this song called "Good Girl" that was like really good. She was also um, that Justin Timberlake song. Oh, I'm blanking on the name. I'll have to look it up. Um, there's a Justin Timberlake song that got like really popular, and she ended up she was like singing the background vocals on it. So anyway, long story short, she was just somebody that me and my friend EJ that we had just kind of taken a liking to at 18. So him and I right, were living right, right. at the time and, you know, he was rapping, I was singing and yeah, we just decided to come up with a song called Miss Marquez and, you know, we wrote it, recorded it, put it on MySpace. And yeah, I remember she actually like, she, I think her manager had found it and then she had sent a message was like, thank you so much. Like she loved it. And for me and EJ, it was like the coolest thing ever. Cause like here was somebody <laughs> who was like popular and was signed to Pharrell's label. And then Pharrell was like everything to me. And I was like, Oh man, you know, maybe if, if she puts in a good word for Pharrell, like maybe one day we'll get to me. Obviously it never happened, but, um, but yeah, so that oh, was, that was, see, well, that was, that was the other thing. I remember thinking, wow, some of this stuff sounds like Pharrell. Pharrell, I mean, that's very kind of you to say. Um, as you said, it wasn't outstanding at the time. But yeah, Pharrell was definitely a huge, uh, huge influence for me. Um, yeah, just like, yeah, I love Pharrell. Rock Your Body, that was a song by Justin Timberlake. I had to look it up. So yeah, Rock Your Body, Justin Timberlake oh, song. Right. Yeah, and she was the... uh uh yeah. Uh-huh. So that was it. But yeah, that was Miss Marquez and those were some of the songs. And yeah, that was 2005. And it, you know, it's funny. So obviously, you know, you had found me on MySpace, which in 2020 sounds so funny um to say, right. but you know, initially right. when you said that, MySpace, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about MySpace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, with that, so you had found it and you know, you told me your thoughts, but um you know, what, what was that next step for you? Uh, I think I, I, I emailed you I, or, or texted you or something, mm-hmm. but I remember writing something like, you know, hey, this is me. Uh, I'm in Boston. If you want to talk to me, that would be cool. If you, if you don't, I can understand it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think after about a week or so, you responded. Um, I, I forgot how we got to the point where we were talking on the phone. Well, I I, I, re- I remember it like pretty vividly. So it, it'll be funny because this is kind of the first opportunity that we'll have to kind of compare notes, if you will. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I remember, oh, I, I don't know if I... I think I even remember the day. It was like October 23rd or October 24th. It was whatever that Monday is of 2005. And um, yeah, I, I woke up and I just had like a, a really rough weekend. And even the week before was pretty rough. Like I was going to school at Sac State and I was just doing 
terrible in a lot of my classes. I think I just failed like a pretty big exam and like a biology class or whatever. And so I was just kind of like struggling and not, not doing well from a school perspective and like work was like, all right, whatever. And then that Monday morning, I like got up, saw the messages. You were, you were coaching kids at that time too, right? Yeah, I was coaching track and field. Um, right. So I was doing that and just had like a lot of things going on. But yeah, so that Monday morning, I, I get up, check the messages and, you know, I saw a message from, you know, an account named Maz. And, you know, being on MySpace and having a music account, I got random messages from random people all the time. But then when I clicked it, it was like, I, I forget verbatim what it said, but it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I found you. Like, this is Maurice, your dad. Um, you know, it like, it wasn't a long message, but I was just like, right. oh my God, did, like my biological dad just found me on MySpace. Like right. <laughs> that is, that is crazy. And like, so I did, re- I responded, I think it was certainly that day. And really? yeah, it was like maybe within two hours. Cause I definitely had to sit on it. Cause you know, here oh, I am okay. 19, like, whoa, this is this is heavy. And and like I said, just, I was going through a lot just personally. And, you know, so I responded and your response was like, Oh, like, no, I totally understand. Cause I think I'd said something to the effect of like, yeah, this is, this is pretty heavy. Like, you know, know, and you're like, Oh, like I, I totally understand. But then what, what did happen is that like that week was just like incredibly overwhelming. Cause you know, obviously you know, told my mom. Um, I don't exactly remember that conversation, but it was definitely like a, you know, hey, like Maurice just contacted me on on MySpace, and I know what kind of it definitely caught her off guard, caught me off guard, and then I know everybody on on the Rucker side of the family. Then they started reaching out to me, and I remember just getting friend requests and messages from. You know, everyone's saying like, "Hey, this is your auntie. Hey, this is your uncle. Hey, this is your cousin." Uh, and, you know what? Real quick, I was just talking to Marsha about that the other day. Because mm-hmm. Marsha comes over, over like, she borrows my car sometime during the day. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just sitting there. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. why don't you borrow it? It's, it's parked right outside your house. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was like, I wonder how Ryan felt when he got that barrage of requests from all the ruckers up here. I, was, I wonder how that man feel. Yeah, I don't know. We we might talk about this. Yeah, well, I I remember it well because it was very very overwhelming. Mainly because you know being at nineteen and at that time you know I was in California, and you right, know, right. you know uh, my side of the family like we were pretty small, but like we were close. You know, so I had them, and right. so it was weird for me to understand that I had people who were just as close, like from a blood perspective. You know, on right. your side of the family, like cousins aunts uncles who were like hey what's up cousin and i remember just feeling weird um right. just with the understanding that like from my standpoint i'm like I, like i've never had any contact with when any of them no fault of their own like it certainly wasn't right right any knock on that but at the same time i was like we we don't we don't know each other like it's been <laughs> my entire life like 19 years i'm like we don't know each other so and just like the messages kept on coming in and coming in and coming in and then <laughs> um it kind of it culminated that friday night when um a, a friend of mine from high school was actually killed in a car accident so like right, I, remember, I remember that 
Yeah. And, you know, so like that was, you know, the first time, you know, I'd really dealt with that. And like I said, I was failing some of my classes in, in college. Um, you know, I'm dealing with my biological dad <laughs> reaching out to me on MySpace and all these cousins. And I remember I sent you a message, I think the following day, um, I think you had like said like, Hey, like saw that your friend died. Like, how's everything going? And I was like, I just need some time because this is very overwhelming. And it was, right, right. Um, you know, so that was, that was kind of like my side of the equation. So, um, you know, what, is, right. what do you envision our reconnecting would look like? Because I, I would imagine nobody would ever think in a million years that we would reconnect over, <laughs> over MySpace, which is, again, very funny to say in 2020. Right, 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 right. Um, well, here's the thing. All of that, all of that contact from your cousins and all of that, I didn't really even realize that was going on. Because, mm-hmm. like, I was in Boston, and I, you know, I, I mean, I had contact with family members, but it wasn't like, you know, like, even to this day, I have nephews and nieces that I've never met, uh, or if I've met them, I don't remember them because there's so many of them and I've met them maybe once mm-hmm. and they'll remember me. It's like, Hey, I'll tell you. I'm like, hi. Who? Yeah. Cause there's so freaking many of them. Mm-hmm. Like I think when my, when my grand, when my, when my mother died, she had something like 45 grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And that was like, two, what, 2005? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and yeah. it's like, since then, there's been so many more people added to this family. And it's like, and it's, and now that I'm old, it seems like people are growing really quickly. Like some some kid I met when he was like five, sitting in the back seat of my car. I see him now, and I don't. You know, it's four years later. I mean, it doesn't feel like four years later, but he's nine now, and he's giant. He's like, is this the same kid? And there's like, you know, I have cousins. I have, I have twin, you know, twins run in our family. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard so, <laughs> and I've seen. So I, I have these twin cousins that I've known since I was probably eight years old or nine. No, no, because they're younger than me. So since I was like 10 or 12, since they were babies mm-hmm. who are now older adult women and I still don't know who is who. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one is Tammy and which one is Teresa. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I was gone. I was just, you know, I was I was gone when I was when I was young. I was out in Arizona. Then I went to Las Vegas. Then I came back briefly. Then when I was here briefly, I lived in Lake George and played in a band and didn't really hack, go to family functions and stuff like that. And then after that, I moved to Boston. Mm-hmm. So I've spent my entire life away from my family. And it's not until now in my, you know, coming back here 
in my late 50s mm-hmm. that I'm really connecting with family in the way you should be with family. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, it definitely, definitely makes sense. And now, you know, after we got in contact, I, I don't remember our first phone conversation, but I do know that at some point we exchanged, you know, phone numbers. I don't know if it was maybe around like Christmas time or maybe like in early 2006. Um, but do you remember our first phone conversation? Uh, no, I I think we talked a little bit about music. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I mean, I just, I, I might have remembered hoping that I would impress you on s- certain levels. Mm-hmm. And really, all I had to go on was my music and your music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Beyond that, I don't think we, we, that first time we talked, we talked about anything real. Yeah. I mean, I, like, until, to tell you the truth, the times we talked, it wasn't until the time we met in Lake George that I thought we had a real conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, even and getting there and the conversations of we're going to meet and this is where we're going to meet. And, you know, mm-hmm. I still didn't really understand my full impact until I said to you, I was going to come over to the ice cream place where you were working. Yeah. And you said, you said, no, you, you probably shouldn't. I was like, wow. Okay. Now, yeah. now I really get it. I really get it. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. You know, and that was, that was always interesting for me because, um, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, it's like at, at that time of being 19 or, you know, at 20, like at, at that point, um, I didn't have any like bitter, bitter feelings, you know, per se, you know, it was more, right. You know, it was kind of more like the the understanding that, you know, if, if you weren't involved at, at like such a young age, um, you know, in, in leaving and just like not being around for like basketball games, baseball games. And, you know, obviously we moved from New York to California when I was 14. And, you know, so they all of my recorded memory in terms of a life dealt, you know, was was without you. And, you know, so being 20, like I was in a really good position, you know, like my mom was phenomenal for all those years. You know, my stepdad was phenomenal, you know, so there was certainly a part of me that was like, well, like these people have been here and like, no knock on you, but you weren't. So, and I, I also remember, you know, that particular time, you know, 2007, it was summer 2007, you know, I was working in Lake George, pretty much everybody on, you know, in our family has worked a summer in Lake George from my grandpa back in like the forties, um, my uncle Gil, right, right. 30s, 40s, you know, so it was just kind of like a, a family thing that everyone did. And at this point, summer 2007, I didn't have a lot going on. So I was like, oh, like my, my uncle had ran, he was running a restaurant slash ice cream parlor back in Lake George. I was like, oh, I'll go back there for the summer, hang out with my friends. Um, one of my buddies, Tony, like I got him a job there. And we just got to work together, hang out on the lake, like all summer. This was like 
a dream. And I remember you saying like, you know, hey, like, yeah, I'm going to come in and check you out. And, you know, I was working for my Uncle Mike and, you know, my Uncle Mike is somebody that's, my understanding is that the two of you did not get along. Um, right, right. You know, so it would have been, it would have been a, a really awkward, I think, for everybody involved from, I think, the three of us to customers to my coworkers, you know, it's just. Right, 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 right. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I got it. I got right. it. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I, I said to myself, oh, he's working for Mike and Mike might be there. And Mike never liked me from word go. I mean, that was just it. Like, I don't ever think we ever had, I don't ever remember having a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. My only contact with him was him coming screaming at my house in the middle of the night. That was really the only time I can tell you that I even heard his voice. Yeah. And, you know, and, and what was really, what was really interesting is that like through, throughout that entire time. So, you know, obviously it's the summer and my mom had knew that, you know, we would chat, you know, every so often. And then, you know, you had brought up the, the idea of, of certainly coming to Lake George and bringing Anne and right. you know, wanting to meet. So, you know, what, what was your, what was your thought process in terms of reaching out and saying like, Hey, like I'd love to meet. Well, it's like I had, when was it? A few, a few years before I was, I was going to try to meet you. Like there was a couple times throughout, you know, every few years I'd say, I wonder, could I meet with Ryan? Mm-hmm. And the one time is when we were playing at the Glens Falls Blues Festival. Mm-hmm. And I tried, because I, I didn't know that you guys had moved mm. to California until I called her old job. At, uh, she worked as a for social worker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember calling there trying to find her. And although a woman, she probably shouldn't have told me this, but she says, Oh no, she moved, she moved to California. I'm like, really? So yeah, a few years ago. Mm. Like, Oh, okay. Thank you. This was after I had talked to John is your other uncle, right? Yeah. I had, because his number was the only number I called. And John was always civil with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, anytime I saw him, he was, you know, he didn't act crazy or anything. He was just civil. So I, I called him and told him that my band was going to be playing at the Glens Falls Blues Festival. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be in that area. And I just wanted to let Gene know because there's probably going to be an article or something about my band playing there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want her to see that without. And he said, yeah, all right, I'll let her know. I'm like, cool. Thanks, mm-hmm. John. Mm-hmm not realizing 
that you guys weren't even around there at that time. Yeah. You had already moved to California. So, mm-hmm. so this time, you were, I knew you were living in California. We had conversations. You didn't say, get the hell out of my face. And you said you were going to be in Lake George mm-hmm. for whatever amount of time. Yeah. I was like, wow, this might be an opportunity to go back and maybe fix something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to expect you to, you know, come up and hug me and say, thank God you're here and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I was under the impression that it would be like, oh, here's, here's this old, interesting black guy that I really have no recollection of being with. But he's he's cool and um, I'll like him for that. Mm-hmm. for just being who he is right now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was hoping would happen. Yeah. And then when we were talking and you got that look on your face at one point and you said to me, how could you? I'm like, how could, you know, how could you just leave? And I remember thinking, wow, this is weird. I don't, do I talk to him now about really how I felt or do I just want to talk to him about the situation itself? Mm-hmm. And I figured if, you know, I didn't want to really get too deeply into how I felt about anything, although maybe I should, but I figured, you know, here's a 20 year old guy talking to like a 50 year old guy. And if, if I, if the situation was reversed, I personally wouldn't want a whole lot of details. So, yeah. So I tried to, you know, I tried to say, you know, I just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel, you know, like this was the right situation. And I knew if I wasn't there that Jean's family would kick in and do the right thing by her and by you. Mm-hmm. Not, not you know, not in spite of me or, or because of me. It's just like who they, who, what their relationship is with their daughter mm-hmm. and their sister, mm-hmm. and you know that's kind of where I left it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because everything you said uh, about that that conversation, you know, totally makes sense. Like I, I vividly remember that meeting. Um, I remember you telling me you're coming to Lake George. I remember telling my mom, like, you know, hey, I'm gonna meet up with Maurice. I remember telling my uncle Mike, you know, and around that time, obviously, you know, you've you told me about like the situations with my uncle Mike, and you know, he had told me. You know, some stories from his his side of the table too, in terms of uh, yeah. some some issues that the two of you had, including you know a, a confrontation at my grandparents' restaurants that you know we certainly certainly don't need to dig into now. You know, decades later. Wait, wait, hold on, wait. A confrontation at your par- grandparents' restaurant? Yeah, you know he he had mentioned that you know the two of you did not see eye to eye did not care for each other, um, you know, and, and he, had just, he had brought up, uh, you know, there, there was a confrontation between the, the two of you 
you know, at the restaurants. I really don't have any more details. I think he was trying to be respectful as well in terms of maybe some of the details, you know, but I mean, you know what, Ryan, I'm going to tell you something Mm -hmm. that is total fiction because I was in your grandparents restaurant one time and it Mm -hmm. was a Wednesday night, the night I met your mother. That was the first and last time I had ever walked into that building. Mm-hmm. I've never had a drink there. I've never had a meal there. I've never talked to anyone there. I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, no idea. Regardless, whatever it was, I mean, it definitely didn't have yeah. any, any bearing on who I was at 20 and even right now. Right. Like it doesn't have any bearing right. on it. Um, but all right. that being said, you know, he was, you know, I, I think everybody was nervous about me meeting with you and not for like any physical reason, but just kind of like what is about to happen, you know, because that's not something that's, you know, they'd ever dealt with. Nobody would expect to deal with, um, you know, and I, I remember I wasn't like I was a little nervous. I wasn't like too nervous, but it was it was kind of kind of weird because up, up until that point, we had been talking for about a year and a half. And like you had said, right most of our conversations were about music because I was very heavily into music. You were still into music, you know, so those were the the majority of our conversations. And it's funny because, you know, take away all of like the fatherhood, take away all of the, you know, leaving issues with family, all those things, like take all that out of the equation. And to your point, I was like, yeah, it's kind of like a cool, like older black dude who like really likes music, played music. (laughs) And then from my perspective, too, it was really interesting because, you know, I, I, I love my mom's side of the family, but I, I don't believe any of my musical talent came from that side of the family. You know, so right. I was always kind of wondering, and I, I knew where it came from, but here to, to be so heavily into music, you know, doing little shows. I mean, I, I was never, never big by any means, but like, you know, having some shows, you know, putting out albums and doing those things, being able to talk to somebody else who understood that was, was right. kind of cool because I didn't have a lot of people in my life who did understand that. So like that part right. was fascinating. But, you know, I do remember meeting for the first time we met in, it was like a parking lot of the hotel you guys are staying at. I forget, I don't remember. No. Uh, oh, right. Didn't yeah. we, go, we went across the street. Well, yeah. So we, we met there. It was like at the beginning of the Lake George Strip, like right before the Strip. And then right. we down to... Oh, what's the name of that restaurant? It was on the street. It was close to Lake George Schools on Canada Street. Um, it was actually right next to where I was working at the time. And right. that's where we met for, for lunch. It was like a beautiful day. Uh, Anne was there. Anne was very kind, um, very sweet. Yeah. And throughout the conversation, I think for the first probably like 45 minutes, again, it was just a lot of chit chat and you know all that stuff and very surface level type interaction. And then right. I, you know, I, I do remember kind of asking the question, like, you know, what well, happened? No, what happened was Anne got up and went to the bathroom and you asked the question while she wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And she came back in the middle of me trying to answer you. Well, yes. That's it, what I remember. Okay. That's, that makes sense. Cause um, you know what I remember? I remember when Anne came, I don't remember that specific detail. I'm sure. I'm sure it's the case. Right. Um, but I remember when she came back and again, very well intentioned, but she was like, you know, well, like, you know, like Maurice was yeah, going right. to 
things at the end, this and that. And I remember, I, I remember feeling like she was answering for you. And yeah, right. I did I turned, too. Yeah, I I turned to her, hopefully respectfully, because I, I didn't want to disrespect her or you or, or anybody. Um, but I remember saying like, and I appreciate what you're trying to do, but this is not your conversation. And from, <laughs> the, from that moment on, she was silent. And right, right. You would explain, <laughs> you know, a lot of different things. Um, and from my perspective, again, it was really interesting because my family was everything to me. Like me and my grandparents, uh, both of them, we were like incredibly close. I'm very close to right. my mom, very close to both my uncles. Were, I think you were driving their car. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, you know, so, so to hear, you know, like some of the issues you were talking about, and I remember you had talked about race being like a big factor in terms of, you know, how like the town wasn't, um, it wasn't necessarily ready to, ready for that. I think you alluded to, to my family and not being ready for it, which, hey, I, I wasn't there, so I'm not going to knock that. But right, right. I do know them. And at the time, I remember I was coming out, I mean, I was 20 at the time, so take it with a grain of salt. But <laughs> I remember um, my high school girlfriend, we, you know, like after we were broken up, I, there was an element of that where I felt like kind of like race played a little bit of a part up, up until coincidentally, like right before we met up, you know, I met up with, with her parents, like we had talked about it. And I realized from my perspective, like, oh, it had nothing to do with race. Like they were phenomenal people. Um, it was the fact that I wasn't ready to, to showcase who, you know, who they wanted their, their daughter to be with. And that was like a big perspective change for me. So I remember you bringing up all those things, which again, upstate New York in the eighties, I don't doubt that race was an issue. Uh, there wasn't a lot of people right. like us in, in there, but I also remember saying like, I, I need you to not make this about race because this is about you and I. And from that point right. on, you know, I, I remember you being very respectful and very understanding and just saying like, you know, hey, I get it. You know, I don't remember the exact words, but it was definitely a vibe that like I wasn't there and I'm sorry. And I remember feeling that and understanding it. But I also remember saying, and, and this was really tough for me to say, you know, but because um, this isn't necessarily who I, who I am or who I want to be. But I remember saying like, you're probably not going to be there when I get married. Like you're probably not really going to know my kids and like I'm 100% down to have like a relationship with you and like we can talk about music we can talk about anything but unfortunately just based off of where you are and where I am like I'm probably not going to be flying back and forth to like see you and you're like yeah I mean that makes sense I respect it and that was tough for me to say because yeah I don't like it but at the same time it was like man, he's been gone a long time. It's tough to just like pick up and say like, all right, cool. Like, you know, here's my wedding day. Oh yeah. Here, meet, meet the grandkids. <laughs> yeah. See, see you there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was, that was, it was weird, especially as a 20 year old. Cause yeah, I was a couple, couple weeks shy of my 21st birthday. It was, um, it was yeah. strange. So do you, do you remember that part of the conversation? Yeah. And, and you know what? Ultimately, when when I, when I started talking to you, I had no expectations of like us like spending time together a lot. But here's one of the things I I really thought, mm-hmm. and, and 
I mean, I hate to say this, but it's like, well, if Ryan just came to my funeral, mm-hmm. that would work for me. Like, I don't need, I don't need Ryan to like get on a plane and come for my birthday or let's hook up for Christmas. I had no expectations of that at all. Um, I just wanted to get to the point kind of where we are now, where we can talk for real about real stuff and that when I die, you recognize that even though it wasn't until you were like older, I was like any person that you meet in any point in your life, a part of your life. I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I talked to you. I, 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 uh, I, you know, I asked you questions. I, you know, I, I care about you and your family and I consider them to be like my family. I mean, I just do. Yeah. And that's kind of the way we roll here in Albany. It's like, if you're connected by blood in any way, you like, you're just your family. Mm-hmm. And we are family, no matter, you know, what I did or where I was. And here I am now. And I, you know, all I got from me is you. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. And, um, yeah, so after that, you know, I felt like we we left the restaurant like on on good good standing. It was like I felt like you got to say what you wanted to say. I got to say what I wanted to say. I don't think Ann got to say what she wanted to say, but <laughs> which is good. Ultimately. Yeah, for sure. For she sure. always I, had a lot of shit to say. <laughs> well, I just I remember feeling that because I'm like I just can't imagine her like here she is just in the middle of the conversation ready for this great weekend in Lake George and you know stepping right, into right. Heavy, heavy conversation. Twenty years in the making, you know. But right, right, right. So, um, so that was that. And then the next day, do you remember what we did the next day? Because I do. Oh, uh, hold on. Uh, did we? Wait a no, I don't. Yeah, I. I, I'm, I picture, I'm, I'm thinking miniature golf, but that's not what happened. That is what happened. Yeah. So we had, um, I think you were leaving like that afternoon or like later that day or whatever. So you're like, you know, Hey, I'm going to be in Lake George for one more day. You know, could we get together tomorrow? Like maybe for some miniature golf. And I was like, Oh yeah, let's, let's play some miniature golf. So me, you and Ann. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> yeah. Me, you and Ann went to, oh, was it Pirate's Cove? I think was the name of it. Um, yeah. It was, it was there's, in Lake there's a Pirate's Cove in every city in America. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was it. So we went there and played, you know, played 18 rounds and we, you know, we chatted, hung out and stuff like that. Um, but the part that I, I so vividly remember, and it's like kind of embarrassing that I remember it this well, is that we played and then at the very end, we were tallying up the score and I remember Ann was tallying it up and it was like, you know, with, uh, you know, she took third place out of the three of us. And she was like, and in second place with a score of, I think it was like, I don't know, 50, 54. Yeah. And like, it, it was like the longest pause. Cause like there was such a part of me. It's so weird. Like I'm a, I'm a little competitive. 
Um, yeah. I didn't think I'd be like this, but I was like, I swear to God, if, if he beats me in this, like, I'm going to be so pissed. And <laughs> Ryan, and that means that Maurice wins. And you had like a 50, you beat me by one stroke. And I just remember instead of being like, oh, I got you. You were like, oh, and I was kind of like, hmm. And Anne was like, oh, all right. So it was just like a really, really awkward moment. Cause like, here we are after all these 20 years and you beat me by a stroke in mini golf. And it was just like, such just like monumental <laughs> moment that to this day, when I play mini golf, I always think of that moment. I was like, that, that oh, that's so funny. Broke. God. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So that was that. And I think one of the reasons it sticks with me so much is that like, this is obviously in 2007 and while we've talked, you know, since then, that's, the last time that we've we've seen each other yeah right um and i also remember i think the owner of the pirates Cove was my old football coach and my old football coach like in queensbury everybody knew everybody everybody knew everyone's backstory and i remember as you guys were leaving i saw him and i hadn't seen him in you know i don't know eight years or so because i've lived in california right, right and he was like oh hey ryan i was like oh hey um this is maurice um i biological dad and i remember him um, the look on his face maybe i'm thinking too much into it but the look on his face was like whoa, whoa wait, wait a minute because i know he was my football coach and he knew that you know you weren't around when i was a kid and when he knew me so i just remember the look on his face was like whoa and that kind of like led me to believe i was like yeah this is i guess this is a pretty big moment it's weird um, <laughs> you and you and Ann took off and a couple weeks later i was back in california and yeah that was that <laughs> one stroke one stroke i will say since then i've gotten pretty good at mini golf but oh really yeah. I, I i was pretty good back then because we Ann and i played a lot but I haven't played in a while, so you'd probably beat me at this point. <laughs> well, hopefully one day we get a rematch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, you know, so now it's 2007. You're back in Boston. I'm back in California. Um, you know, so, so what's next for, for you and Anne, you know, post-2007? Uh, I was basically... I thought life was good and I thought yeah, everything was going fine and, you know, we were moving along and, you know, I was doing, doing my different gigs and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and then I, I think it was the next year I went in for my knee surgery. Mm-hmm. That's when I was, I was working at the after school program and, I think I had already started working at Home Depot. Hmm. Or maybe not. I don't really remember. But I was working at the ward after school, which was kind of a trip because it was like basically in in um, Newton, Massachusetts. And Newton is sort of like a rich kind of Jewish area. That's mm-hmm. all I could say. Or a rich Jewish town. Like, I, I remember 
playing, you know, walking to this, these kids at a table. And this one kid was looking like he was ready to cry. And I was like, well, what are you guys talking about? And the girl sitting next to him says, well, they're making fun of him because his family lives in an apartment. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so everybody has house, big houses, like many mansions, and there's a lot of money, and there's, you know, I ended up, I ended up, to tell you the truth, after I had my knee surgery and came came back, I was quieter, I wasn't as, as outgoing, and uh, I remember one of the kids, this little girl came up to me and says, you're not as funny as you used to be. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I, I just can't find it in me. It's just, I just, I kind of felt a bit like a zombie, mm. but I, you know, I was doing my stuff, but I would, you know, I'd be sitting in the after school program and there'd be a guest speaker and I'd be sitting there and I'd close my eyes and kind of nod for a second. And my boss, like, talked to me. She says, you can't do that. You know, we're working with these kids and blah, blah, blah. And, so, and then um, I did it again. Mm. And she fired me that day. Oh, and I was like, it broke my heart. Because I was doing, you know, I was known as the guy who did the creative projects with the kids. You know, I you know, I do all kinds of stuff. And I always build a sound system for the big play that we did every year i would you know i'd go hang the microphones and run the sound and do all of that stuff and so i was into this job mm -hmm. but uh after my surgery i was just sort of like i became sort of dull and i got fired from there mm -hmm. um but um and then Anne, Anne started seeming to be different, you know? And I was like, wow, what's going on with her? And I said to my friend, Mary Ellen, I said, Mary Ellen, I think Anne might be having an affair. She says, what? That's crazy, not Anne. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm being just kind of paranoid. Maybe mm -hmm. it's the medica. Then we were laying in bed one night I said to her, Anne, are you having an affair with someone? She said, yes. I got out of bed and went downstairs, and I was like, she came down, and I said, who is it? She says, it's a friend of my brother's. And ultimately, I found out it was a friend of her father's. Oh. It was like a guy who's like 20 years older than her. Like okay, and so that happened, and she moved out. I stayed there for a little while, and mm -hmm. she sold the house, and I moved into an apartment in Jamaica Plain. I was working at Home Depot part time, and mm -hmm. I was still doing like club stuff, not a lot, but I had already I'd started a karaoke lesbian karaoke night oh, cool. and I was yeah it was like I had, I had video on the wall I had a video screen and I brought in costumes like leather jackets and cowboy hats and boas and sunglasses and just 
every Thursday night we'd set it up and there'd be just all of this stuff and you know people could just get up on the stage and I built this booth and I had like three three DVD players and four um, karaoke CD players Mm-hmm. So I'd switch things in and out, and I had like one of those Radio Shack AB switchers. Okay. And I would just switch from different sources. So I'd have audio from one source, and I'd have video from a different source. And every once in a while, I'd hook up my video camera to it and do that out on the people, and it would show them, you know. So it was like, it was kind of a hip thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to tell you the truth, it's going on to this day. Karaoke every Thursday night at the Midway Cafe. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was something I started. Okay. And uh, so that's what I was doing. I was doing karaoke. I was, get, I was getting really drunk, like, doing it. Like, you know, every once in a while, me and the, the owner, we'd have shots of tequila, and I was drinking beer, and people were buying me drinks. And it was like, really a stupid amount of alcohol I was consuming on a Thursday night. Mm-hmm. And when I would DJ, I would, I had, I'd wear pajamas. So like, you know, I just any, have these. Any particular bags. reason? <laughs> it was, I was, it seemed like every time I was, I've done something, I've, I've always tried to, find something that would be my signature mm-hmm. like when we we're like first in lake george i used to wear white gloves then that michael jackson thing happened so i had to stop wearing white gloves yeah. then I, I went to wearing a scarf around my left hand so the dangle when i'm when i'm holding the microphone mm-hmm. you know this this thing and then there was a period where we had these, these, we met these girls and made these really long earrings. They were like like silver chains, two of them or three of them. And they'd hang down to almost like, like below your shoulder. Mm. And that was a thing for a while. So I've always had where I've always looked for a thing to have. And this one, I thought, Pajamas, like old black guy. You know, I've I've always con- I've considered myself an old black man since I was forty. I just okay. always have, and that's the way. I mean, I never, you know, it's not like something I said, but it's the way I felt about myself. Mm-hmm. Like you are no longer a kid. Like, like I mean, I got this this, this theory on 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 childhood and adulthood that you're, you spend 20, like 21 of your years as a child. Mm-hmm. So you don't become like a full fledged adult until you go between beyond that 21 years living as an adult. Mm. So, you don't feel like an adult until you're like 42. Like all the time between 22 and 42, you're trying to catch up 
with your childhood. You're trying, you know, you're trying to catch up and run away from your childhood. That's, I, I've always thought, you know, some version of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, Oh, so I felt doing this karaoke thing, being like an old black man in a room full of lesbians, I should try to have no impression that I'm trying to impress them physically with any kind of outfit I might wear or anything like that. So I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just a guy in some pajamas DJing here. That's, 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 that's why. I mean, I had, I had about like six or seven different pair of pajamas. I don't know what's happened to them, but but yeah. So that, yeah, I, I, I was I was the DJ and the PJs. Okay, that's where that's where I mean it was actually the lesbians that came up with the name Mars. They oh, just started calling me Mars, and that's how you know the, my band was Mars. Mm-hmm. So. That's where that came from. Um, and then so when when Ann uh, left and I moved, I I was talking to a friend of mine who lived in Vermont who had just gotten divorced from his wife. Mm-hmm. And I had also just started this new band, the Jones Road Project. And we were starting to play a little, but I said, I'm not going to stick around Jamaica playing anymore. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to leave the state. Mm -hmm. So Eric said, come up, you know, be my, be my wingman. Come hang out with me, live with me. So I went there to Vermont. Where in Vermont was it? uh, uh, Water, um, Scorpion and Jerry's is. Oh, okay. I but I water. didn't stay there that long with him. I had another friend who lived in Stowe because Eric kind of bailed on me and bought another house. Mm. And there was like no room for me because he had three kids mm. that were spending, you know, between his house and his wife's house. And uh, so, so I moved in with my friend uh, Dave in Stowe, and I was working at Home Depot in Williston, and I was working also at a bar on the door called the Rusty Nail in in Stowe, and I was partying in Burlington on Halloween night. And I was driving home, and everything in, in Vermont is 30 miles away. So driving back to the stove, the cop light came on behind me. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I pulled over to the side of the road. They said, yeah, you were kind of swerving there, sir. License and registration. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like they need you to do uh, maybe some tests. So they did the, the sobriety test where you walk toe to toe and all that stuff and stand on one foot. Mm-hmm. Stuff that in reality, I can't do even if I'm not drunk, you know? 
Like I can't, you know, even at that time, I couldn't walk toe to toe straight without night, without tumbling. And I couldn't stand there with one foot in the air touching my nose without stumbling. Like, I just can't do that physically. But I was drunk and I, next morning, which oddly enough is my birthday, November 1st, I woke up in like uh, the floor of a shower at a halfway house because there was no room at the jail. So they brought me to this place in the middle of the night. And, uh, and that started, you know, I was also, I, I had a band there. We were playing in Vermont, playing in Vermont, a new band okay. called, called the soul giants, which we really weren't. And um, <laughs> the only real giant in the band was me. Mm-hmm. Lots of these guys were like jam band kind of guys. You know, matter of fact, the place where we rehearsed is where Fish recorded their first album. Really? Yeah, and the drummer in this band bought this studio. Okay. So he was the one, the driving force behind this band in Vermont called the Soul Giants. Mm-hmm. But... um but and so I what else happened? Oh, so I I'd been only working part time and I just gotten a second job. So I was trying to catch up on my money, but I had been tardy on some bills. So uh what happened? We were playing at some place far out of town, up the side of a mountain. On, like, the other side of the mountain was closed because of snow. Okay. So this, we're playing at this bar, and I got there, and they said, oh, there's a phone call for you. I'm like, who the hell knows me? Blah, blah, blah. It's the people who I have my car finance with. They're going to repossess my car. I'm like, we're going to come pick it up tonight. I'm like, oh, shit. It's like, uh, yeah, all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they came, picked up my picked up my truck. So the, the keyboard player gave me a ride home. And home from where we were playing, once again, 30 miles. Mm-hmm. So he takes gets me home. Next day, I, I say to Dave, man, I said, Dave, I got to... I got. I can't live here anymore. I I don't have any money. I'm about to lose my driver's license. Um, and and they repossessed my truck, so I I couldn't drive anyway. But I don't have anything to drive if, even if I could. So I got to get out of Vermont. Mm-hmm. So I called my brother Bill. Bill's the one that has a church. He's the preacher. He's, mm-hmm. I told you about him. He's the yeah. former drunk who became a preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called Bill. I said, Bill, I got to I gotta get out of here. I need, he said, all right, well, let's see what we can do. I'll, Roger has the truck, so maybe he or Garland or somebody can come up and get you. Then I talked to him later that day. He said, yeah, Garland's going to come up and he's going to pick you up, so be ready. So I packed up all my stuff and put all my extra stuff up in the, up in the attic. Came back and got it later. Darling came up. He 
to Vermont, got me, drove me home. Bill arranged for me to live in a room, a, a giant room downstairs from Tony. Tony had a beauty parlor at that point. The mm-hmm. room was downstairs next to the beauty parlor, and she and her family lived upstairs. Okay. So once again, I was still working for Home Depot. Like when I, when I went to Vermont, I was working for Home Depot. When I came to Albany, I was working for Home Depot. So, um, but that's how I ended up back in Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lived with Tony for a while. Then I moved into this sort of not rooming house, but a, a house where this woman rented out rooms and she was really sort of a Nazi. She, you know, she had video ca- cameras around the place and if you didn't put your trash away the right way, she'd like talk to you about, it. you know, she, she was just really kind of annoying. I never okay. did get my security deposit back. Um, but, <laughs> but then, uh, then I got approved to live in South Mall Towers. That's where Garland, Roger, and Tony and Marsha live, mm-hmm. like senior citizens' buildings. And um, and so I I saved I saved up a lot of money, so I, I bought like some furniture and stuff, and got my got my stuff from my apartment and then I moved in and I stayed there while working at Home Depot mm-hmm. for about six six years and uh, then the Home Depot stuff happened next time on Complicated Fatherhood next words out of his mouth were you. If it wasn't for Trump, you wouldn't even have a job. That was the second I was like, oh, this thing is going to blow up. So I'm like, did he just go get a gun or something? Is he coming back to shoot me? Or now, What are some things that, that you would change, you know, kind of going back you know, in your life? Complicated Fatherhood was written, recorded, and edited by me, Ryan Rucker. All music was composed and recorded by me as well. Join us for the conversation on Instagram at Complicated Fatherhood. And if you like what you hear, I'd love for you to share this podcast on any of your favorite social media platforms using the hashtag Complicated Fatherhood. We'll see you next time.